to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Hey, everyone. This is the last of our current four CADCA-sponsored High Truths podcasts. If you enjoy this CADCA mini-series, please let us and CADCA know. We would love to create a High Truths CADCA tradition. The title of this episode is Young Diaries, Best Practices in Youth Engagement. And we save the most precious for last. And what is more precious than America's youth? Young people are our future and are very much worth our time, investment, and money. There are many adult professionals who owe their careers to starting leadership training with a drug-free coalition. And you will hear from the future big shots in this episode. I am so grateful to CADCA for sponsoring this episode. CADCA is one of my favorite world organizations. Really, everyone loves CADCA, the Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. Every year, they invited me to speak at their National Leadership Forum and Mid-Year Training Institute. CADCA is known for their signature training events. The conferences are one of my favorites because of the engaged prevention professionals who attend to ask questions, learn, and implement the best ideas that will improve their hometown. I cherish our prevention professionals because they are not enough of them, and yet our future, our youth, depend on their work. CADCA represents over 5,000 community coalitions that involve individuals from key sectors, including schools, law enforcement, youth, parents, healthcare, media, and more. CADCA has members in every U.S. state and territory and in more than 30 countries around the world. The CADCA coalition model emphasizes the power of community coalitions to prevent substance misuse through collaborative community efforts. CADCA believes, and I certainly agree, that prevention of substance use and misuse before it starts is the most effective and cost-efficient way to reduce substance use and its associated costs. Benjamin Franklin would certainly agree an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. This episode of High Truths is dedicated to the discussion of prevention. And knowing about brain development, we understand that prevention means working with youth. And thus, this episode of High Truths, we hear from young youth diaries and the best practice in youth engagement. Let's start our discussion with a question from a CADCA listener, Sean Cole. Hi, my name is Sean, and I wanted to ask, why is youth leadership so important in helping the curb of addiction in our country? Thank you, Sean, for your question. And we have the great experts to answer it. From CADCA, our question will be answered by Angela Ampoma and Rebecca Jin. Let's show off about you. Angela. Angela Ampoma is CADCA's Associate for Youth Leadership Initiative. She is responsible for interacting and managing the development of CADCA's youth trainers. Angela has a master's in public health with a concentration in drug policy. She graduated from St. John's University with a BA in sociology and a minor in psychology. She has over three years of experience working with AmeriCorps as a corp volunteer. 
She volunteered at the Grand Central Food Program Coalition for the Homeless and has been involved in public health initiatives in her native country of Accra, Ghana. Rebecca. Rebecca Jin is CADCA's youth trainer for the Youth Leadership Initiative. Rebecca is from the Windy City of Chicago. She started working on substance use prevention since middle school, and throughout her four years of high school, she spoke out on the harmful effects of marijuana on youth to law enforcement, lawmakers, village boards, and became a true activist. In addition to being the vice president of her drug-free coalition in high school, she is also an athlete playing varsity field hockey. She has been a freshman mentor, has been part of the National Honor Society and the Spanish Honor Society. The bios for Angela Ampoma and Rebecca Jin are included in the High Truth show notes. Angela and Rebecca, welcome to High Truths. Hello, Dr. Rev. Thank you so much for having us. Hello. Uh, It's exciting to be here. And it is exciting to have the two of you with us. This is the first time we have two experts on our podcast. And Rebecca, you are the youngest expert we've ever had. So how exciting. And I thought before we start with the great question that Sean has for us, I want to let our audience know a little bit more about you. So Angela, you obviously developed a passion for young leadership and training. But what made this important to you? Yes, thank you so much for asking. Um, again, my name is Angela Poma. It's really great to be on here to, on the High Truths podcast. I'm honored. What really led me to go towards prevention is that when we were in college, one of our our sweet mates, actually, she passed away because of drug misuse. Oh. And we, I didn't quite understand why she did the things that she did. And when I got the opportunity to actually get my master's, I was like, I want to deal with, you know, helping people. That's something that I love to do. So I decided to go get my public health um, degree and God having it, I stumbled upon CADCA and I just saw the great work that they were doing. And I said, why not be an advocate for change, especially working alongside with superstars like Rebecca herself, you know, in youth leadership, just to be able to teach them how to be change agents in their community. And that's exactly what I've been doing for almost three years at CADCA. And I love it here. So thank you guys so much. That's really nice. And you know what? The the your sweet mate, that's a, such a sad story. Um, but you're an example. You take something tragic and make something good out of it. And that's a beautiful example and really frames your life for the better. And Rebecca, um, you started very young. And tell us how I mean, how old were you in middle school when you started um being an advocate and, and look at the amazing things that you're doing now? What drove you to this type of work? Yeah, I was. Um, I think I was about probably 11, maybe 12. Um, Wow. Yeah, that was about six years ago. Um, And I think really what drove me to being um, where I am today and just getting involved in the work that I'm doing now is that substance use does run in my family um, and many diseases that come with it. The implications of it also run in my family. I've had multiple family members pass away due to lung cancer Um, alcoholism also runs in my family. So it's something I've been around for a while, probably like all my life. And I just knew I wanted to educate others on it. And if I could help others, just given my experience, I thought that it would be so worthwhile to get involved. So, um, that's mostly how I got my start here. That's great. And again, another example where, you know, we always, I had a professor in emergency medicine that you learn the best from other people screw ups and that's how you do better as a doctor by learning from other mistakes. But in, in general, you also, you take, you know, 
negative examples are, are powerful for for change and you're an example of that you know it's it's not your destiny just because it runs in your family as a matter of fact you're going to be the agent of change within your family and your community so that's great um so what about tell can you tell our audience about what work you guys actually do for CADCA and maybe we'll start with Angela Yes, yeah, so we usually get the youngest, brightest stars, just like Rebecca, to onboard with us. Um, we do a lot of trainings on substance misuse and um, substance prevention and how to be change agents. So we have an array of um, trainers that go out nationally and also internationally, basically educating youth on why um, substance misuse should not be a part of your future and they should be the change that they want to see in their future because they are the leaders of not tomorrow, but they are the, the leaders of today. So with that, we go ahead and teach them, you know, this um, strategic prevention framework, um, how to basically go about teaching other people that are not in coalitions, how to basically maximize the content that we teach them to go outside and also teach others so that they can also live a drug-free life. And Rebecca, what about you? What do you do with Kenka? You both are way too nice to me. <laughs> you both are so nice. <laughs> um, and so Angela put it beautifully, but um, as a trainer, I um, am contracted to lead a bunch of trainings all over. And um, my goal is just to teach youth about the dangers of substance use, about how to be better leaders within their respective communities. And I just love what I do. I absolutely love getting to work with everyone and getting to meet so many new people. And it's a really cool job just getting to be able to interact with so many people that you wouldn't normally and to educate people, most importantly, on the dangers of substance use. Well, did you just say you, you're contracted? So you're, you have a job. You're 18 years old with a job with a contract. <laughs> I think that's pretty, <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, that's amazing. You have a lot to be proud of. We can't wait to hear and learn more from you. What are the trends that we're seeing with youth that needs the most attention when it comes to prevention, and especially now more than ever with our pandemic? So I think right now more than ever, um, just because everyone has been encouraged to stay at home and because everyone has been, in a way, youth have sort of been neglecting their social lives and for good reason too. I mean, there's no way that they can go out and interact like how we do in like a pre-COVID sort of world. But um, I, I think because of that, it's really encouraged people to misuse substances uh, uh, even more than they did before. And I know that people who already are struggling with substance use disorders with SUDs, um, by a survey that was conducted by the Addiction Policy Forum, they reported around like 34% of the respondents who participated in that survey actually had experienced disruptions in accessing treatment. So people who are already struggling with SUDs, it's, um, it's like, uh, even more of a struggle now just because um, of the pandemic and it's more of a struggle to get access to that treatment. And I think there's also just this overwhelming sense of increased worry and sadness and fear that people are experiencing. So more than ever, people are more encouraged to want to try new things, um, which many of them being substances that they hadn't before in a pre-COVID world, just because when people have fear within them, and when people are uncertain of what's going to happen in the future, um, they feel more inclined to do things that they normally wouldn't, which includes substances in this case. Do you have examples from your own high school? Have you seen 
kids who've increased their drug use or used drugs for the first time uh, with the pandemic and with the isolation? I Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um, in my community, at least, I remember there's this one specific incident. Um, so it was like March 13th, maybe March 14th. I go to the store just to get my family some toilet paper and some food. Um, <laughs> and all the shelves are like completely empty. But in the store that's like nearest to my house, I walk in and to my right is where all the liquor is stored. And I remember just seeing all the empty shelves of liquor and I was like, wow, um, that's insane. So definitely in general, people in my community have been drinking more, um, especially since being at home. I think maybe people just feel they have nothing better to do. And that is just such a problematic kind of behavior. And I think so as well, what I'm seeing on social media, a lot more people um, are using on social media and putting it out there that they are smoking or that they are drinking at an increased rate than they were before. Yeah. You know, I didn't go to the grocery store for a long time. And when I did go back, I noticed that they moved all the liquor aisles to the front of the store. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. um, But I've also heard from teachers who, you know, saw, you know, bright kids who now when they're seeing them on Zoom uh, look like they're baked and not themselves anymore. So definitely something that's affecting them and why your job is so important. So what uh, how are some what are some effective ways? How do you engage youth during a pandemic? I think that adults especially need to approach youth with that same enthusiasm that they had before when we were all in person, when it was like a pre-COVID sort of world. And I think as long as people are approaching their work and approaching what they are doing with the same energy it's a lot easier to approach this kind of situation um, because it is harder and that is the reality of it. And it is more uncertain and there is more fear that comes with it. But as long as we are approaching it with the same kind of mentality that we had before, I feel like that is so important. And I think as other ways that are more specific to engaging youth and more effective as well, I think reaching out to youth um, from an adult side speaks volumes to the youth and like how other people care for them and especially how their adult, the adults in their life care for them. So just a short, how are you message or phone call or just catching up with them virtually over um, Zoom face-to-face even, Google Hangouts, FaceTime. I feel like there's a lot of different avenues to do so. Um, But making yourself a resource to youth, especially I feel is a great way to encourage them during the pandemic. That's, that's nice. And I always said that I thought we came up with the wrong word for social distancing. And that was a word from, you know, a generation ago when we had pandemics, but really we are physically distanced, but we're not socially distanced. I mean, look at us now talking on Zoom and we're, we're very much socializing. We're not in physical contact, but, um, but we're, we can socialize. So I, I, if I had to rebrand that, I'd say we should be physically distanced, not socially distanced. Um, What are some of the tactics? How do you do that? How do you catch the attention of youth? Um, I think, again, just like being as enthusiastic and energetic as you can with like what you're doing. Um, Because if youth see that, um, adults especially, like if if youth see that adults are excited about what they're doing, then youth are going to be excited about it too. Um, I think it's just something that's really important, especially now when there's so much fear and uncertainty um, and anxiety that comes with it to have something to be excited about. And um, I think too, that motivating youth verbally is also really important and eliminating that kind of negative verbiage saying, 
you can't do this. Like, I can't do this. Oh, like, this is just too hard. I feel it's so small and not a lot of people realize it. But once you eliminate like those, I can't, I won't, I just don't want to do this. Those sort of negative phrasing of different things. I feel like it opens up so much more opportunity to be optimistic about things. And youth sense that. Youth definitely can see when um, the adults around them are are struggling and when they are kind of leaning towards wanting to, you know, just give up and not really want to um, do with the, the work that they're doing. But if you see that adults are excited about it, then um, there's more opportunity to be optimistic and for youth especially to be excited about something. And you obviously have a very positive attitude. So that's probably why you're so successful. I, I can can definitely see that. And, and you're right. It's contagious. If you're positive and happy, then it's contagious. And if you're if you're stressed out, then that stress is contagious too. Angela, how do you create changes in communities? What is the, what's the strategy? Um, the strategy is just basically providing the necessary resources. Let's just say if they need um, any like data points and things of that sort, we're able to provide that. Um, we're able to provide resources where coalitions can go. And um, we have a community for CATCA, where any um, if you're a member, you go you go in and basically you chat it up. If you have any questions, it's basically what it is—a community. Everybody helps everybody out. So we provide um, that information during our trainings. We give like a workbook that has so much information that literally, when you leave the training, you can go back and refer to it and things of that sort. And it's an engaging type of training. So. You're not just reading, you're actually filling it in, you know, doing activities and things of that sort. But Rebecca will go more in depth about it. But we have primers that basically showcases like, okay, these are the different steps of our um, SPF. This is what you do in this step. This is what you do, you know, in sustainability, like things of that sort. So we have so many, so many resources on our CADCA page at CADCA.org that can help with any coalition or anybody that actually needs help basically with their communities and living a drug-free life. That's great. And then really, CADCA is famous for their training. And Rebecca, you took CADCA training when you were 11 years old? Um, So the first CADCA training I actually participated in, I was a little bit older. I was 15. So that was like almost three years ago. Um, (laughs) But I, um, yeah, I definitely loved participating in CADCA trainings when I was, um, when I was younger, it was always just so fun to get to meet people from all over um, and to get to work with and interact with all these like professionals at such a young age. I thought it was just amazing to get to learn. Um, But yeah, when I was 15, that was when I had my first CADCA experience. And CADCA works with kids at young age, like how early do you, can you start uh, with this type of education, whether it's formal training or not? I think I've even seen pictures of kindergartners. Oh, it's so cute. (laughs) They have to be geniuses. I think the youngest that we've ever had, um, she was actually in middle school in sixth grade um, and she joined us and she became a trainer, basically learned all the content and was basically that person to go to to learn from when it came to like um, prevention science and drugs and things of that. So her name is Stevie, actually. She's an amazing, amazing youth. Um, So that's the youngest we've ever had, but we don't ever put a cap on it. But usually we want them to be able to comprehend um, the the content that we are um, training them about. So typically we look between like 
12, 13 to the age of 18 um, for the onset. But we also have older trainers that are like, you know, seasoned trainers that basically have been with us for well over 12 years, well over 15 years. So it, it varies. But the youngest that we've had was a sixth grader. Can you imagine somebody like that just literally just hopping right in, you know, seeing I what's happening that. in the community and saying, no, I don't like what I'm seeing. So I want to change that. So it's a really beautiful thing to see. I think the kindergarten assault was probably those young leaders teaching like the yes. younger people. Yes. I think that that's what I was seeing. Yeah. So Rebecca, you've, you've done that. You've, you, you've, you know, you took the training and do you feel like you made a change in your community? I, I feel like alongside a lot of the other youth in my community who have, you know, really dedicated their time and efforts towards just wanting to enhance the health of our own community, like where I live, especially, um, I, I can say, I think I have, I really, um, I've put a lot of work towards it and I want to, too. And I feel like that's what is most important about a goal, like changing your community. Cause, um, when you step back and you look at a goal like that, it's, it's so large and it's like, where do I start? It's so broad. There's so much to do within it, but I feel like, especially alongside, um, the people I've been working with over these past six years, um, and just like that internal desire that I have to change my community. I feel like I have. And it's to change, but also it's really to improve, not just to change, but you're, mm-hmm. you're making improvements. Yeah. But what is it, what's something that you did that you're proud of that was a, an, a change and improvement? Something that comes to mind when I think about that, um, what I've done currently within my community. So I had mentioned that I started when I was a middle schooler, when I was like around 12. Um, and the high school club that I am a part of, we actually have a committee of middle schoolers um, there's around like 40 or 50 middle schoolers from our feeder schools that feed into my high school. Cause my, my high school is kind of large. We have probably around like 4,000 people. So like a thousand per class. And so we have like a lot of different feeder middle schools. So we, um, established this committee of middle schoolers from each middle school that feeds into our high school. Um, and so I, got the honor of being like the director of that committee and really getting to work with younger kids and um, just getting to see them and all of their ideas that they had every meeting that we had. It was just so amazing to see. And I think especially there's just this misconception that adults think like, oh, kids are too young to get involved in prevention. Kids don't understand. But I, working alongside kids who were so young, they had such a great understanding of how drugs impact people, how drugs hurt people. And they had just this raw sort of want to just help others. And I think that was so cool to see. So um, just being a part of that committee, helping establish it and being a director for the years that I was is probably something that I am most proud of just because in a way, it also reminds me of myself, um, reminds me of where I was. So getting to kind of help people in that same manner was really, really special to me. And that's so important because we know statistically that addiction starts in middle school. So that's the time. That is the time to start talking about it. And you can't even be too too early. Um, you know, see people, oh, they were too young to talk about uh, drugs. And I, I and with the right language, right? And the time, you know, the way how you interact, you're never too young to to talk about that. Um, so, uh, so that's really great to see. Now, if you had a wish, if you had to implement a policy um, regarding youth and substance use prevention, um, anything, uh, what would it be? What's your dream? 
dream policy? <laughs> so I actually worked on um, marijuana policy with my coalition for. I knew I loved you. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, literally. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so that was, yeah, I, I worked on marijuana policy for around like two-ish years. Um, it is now commercialized and um, recreationalized within the state of Illinois, unfortunately. But um, before that, when a lot of these conversations started coming to the table and it was more of something that was kind of new and people were talking about the possibility of it, my coalition really wanted to step in and be like, no, um, this would be so harmful for youth. And that is what we did for a good couple of years. So I did meet with some state representatives and senators at my state capital, Springfield, Illinois. Um, we held a couple of press conferences in order to just really advocate against it and to push out the harms of marijuana uses, especially on youth. And um, a lot of the data that we had, we also educated those representatives and senators with. Um, but I think it's so relevant to my state specifically because since it's been legalized for recreation, recreational usage, um, there is increased use in my state amongst youth. So I feel as though um, if I could, it would be just so important um, to the health of the youth in my state to make it somehow like not recreationalized, not commercialized, because it's very obvious that once it came in, once they built this whole commercial industry within my state, that there were increased youth rates of usage. So um, that would sort of be my dream policy if I could. <clears throat> There we go. Learning again from negative examples, such a bad public health policy, and we're, we're reaping the consequences. Angela, what about you? If you had a dream policy, what would, what it, what would it be for you? I would um, change the, the age of when you can um, buy, like, you know, tobacco products or even alcohol. Um, I know because typically when we say 21, it's like, you know, when you go your whole life without having something and you now have the access to it, I feel like sometimes that's when people tend to go overboard. And with that being said, I feel like if we change the age, probably maybe to the age of 25, when you're allowed to legally rent a car, I think that's better than having it at the age of 21. Um, Angela, to- I love you too. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Just God. to think about it that way. I went to Catholic school in St. John's, right? Um, yeah. You know, and we had like security guards, you know, we had a gated community, but still people were able to sneak in, you know, alcohol and drugs into the school, private university, mind you, into the school, into the dorms. And we were, I know I went to um, college, I was 17. So imagine me being around that. And if I didn't have the mindset that I had, I could have been easily influenced. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's not just the youth, it's the people that they surround themselves with. And I feel like educating youth about drugs and alcohol, not saying don't touch it, but actually educating them on it would behoove us in the long run because then that way it's not like, oh, wow, mom told me not to touch it. So I'm going to touch it just to see what it's about. But no, mom told me not to touch it because she taught me about the harmful effects that it will have on me for, you know, the rest of my life to come. So I feel like changing the um, the age would really help. And also, if we had more of a like a nationwide 
CADCA. Let's just say we had a CADCA headquarters in every state where you can. Yeah, we need that, huh? Yes, we need that, (laughs) you know, just to go in and basically like have a resource center where let's just say you take a field trip and you go there one day. um, Let's just say when you're in fourth grade, fifth grade, fifth grade, you're about to go to middle school. You know, that's when it starts mostly. And, you know, fifth grade, you go on a field trip and you learn about different substances and you learn about the effects and things like that. I feel like that in of itself would be more of a rewarding thing for the kids then than basically scaring them off. So that if I had my way, that would be my dream. I, I absolutely love it. And I'll tell you why, because, um, cause you're following the science and your brain is not done growing till you're 25 to 27 years old. 21 is a legal age. Okay. It's a legal age, whatever. But the science age is 25, 27 years old. So if we could prevent um, Americans from using tobacco, alcohol, marijuana, whatever, prescription, you know, anything addicting until the age of 25, 27, we'll have less addiction in the entire country. Um, so you're following the science and I just absolutely love, that is a great goal. Keep alive till 25, 27. And, and it really, a lot of people start you know, they start at middle school, but people who don't, they get to college and, you know, party land. I'm an adult now, but yeah, you're an adult. You can vote, you can drive a car, but your brain's not done growing. You want to be as tall as you can possibly be, but you also want your brain to be as uh, full of good neurons and connections as it possibly can. I love that goal. That's a great goal. Yeah. One thing that I can say too, is that um, at Rebecca's age, I didn't have I, when she started, I didn't know of a CADCA. You know, I didn't have the access to CADCA trainings where I can learn about these things. These are things I'm learning because people are going through it, you know, and I'm seeing, oh my God, this person is doing this and this is what's happening to them. So I don't want to do it. But, you know, some other kids may see that and say, oh my God, this is so cool. Let me do it and see how it affects me. So I feel mm-hmm. like having CADCA around Back then when I was in middle school, when I was in high school, mind you, I'm only 27. So if I'm saying this, just imagine how many people like resources like this and organizations like this could have helped, you know, I wish I had that. I know that like anytime that we have anything um, in the DMV area, DC, Maryland and Virginia, I take my younger siblings to the trainings so they can learn because I want to give them something that I wasn't able to have, which were these resources at that, at their age. So I just feel like just, um, having prevention science around, I felt like prevention is way better than cure to me. And if you can help, if let's just say we have a room full of 20 people. And if I'm able to help teach at least five, I feel like I've made an impact, you know, and those five will go and go teach on and things of that sort. So growing up, I didn't have um, Katka. I wasn't taught like Rebecca, but one thing that I do know that growing up, I'm going to keep instilling in the youth that I do come across so I can teach them the harmful effects of drugs and how it can affect their lives in a negative way. And hopefully they listen. And if they don't, I just pray that they don't end up in the stories and the um, things that I've seen, especially in your death diaries. Like I just, I learned so much. I learned so much. And I feel like it's one of the sessions that you do during CADCA that I absolutely love. 
I learned so many things and I'm just like, oh my God, this is happening, you know? And I go back and I put it in my family group chat. Oh my God, guys, can you believe somebody (laughs) this happened to somebody, you know? So it's one of those things like you all, you're always learning. As long as you're living, you're always, always learning. Um, And the only time that you actually stop learning is when you're no longer on earth. So the only way to absorb knowledge is to have access to these kinds of platforms. So. That's great. And just for our audience, I um, every year, actually twice a year, Katka invites me and I talk about death diaries and I share with them stories from the emergency department and the medical examiner office. And uh, I talk to them and you were you were in one of those sessions. How cool is that? <laughs> I know I got to I was walking around and then I was like, oh, my God, I want to go see this session. I went and I was so intrigued until I was called to come back and shadow some other sessions. I was so intrigued. And like, oh, cool. it's, just, it's just a beautiful thing. Just to, it's like every year you always have something different to show us. That's how you know that this is affecting people day in and day out. It never stops, you know? Yeah. Stops. I just have to think about my last shift in the emergency department for a story, you know? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, but you guys, I wonder if you're, tell us what it's like, you know, Rebecca, you went through high school without using drugs or alcohol and in Angela through college, were you like considered, you know, geeks and uncool and like, you know, like get, you know, because you, you made different choices and, and uh, weren't with the cool crowd of, of people who were, you know, going to parties and getting drunk and whatever else. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, um, there is this sort of like high school stereotype that you need to fit in by drinking a lot or by smoking a lot. And I think like what I've found, especially just as um, a high schooler, um, I'm just a proponent of having fun. And I believe that you really, really, really (laughs) do not need to do any of that in order to have fun. Um, My definition of having fun, I consider myself more of like an extroverted person. So I love meeting new people. I love just getting to spend time with people. And I feel like that's something also a lot of um, people my age will um, touch on just because of the pandemic that we can't meet new people and interact in real life. Um, That is a lot harder, especially for people who are more extroverted like myself. But I just believe that there's so many more avenues of having fun and people don't realize that because they're so set on this idea that that's the only way to have fun and only way to have a good time with other people, especially in a social setting. Um, But I believe if you just get yourself in the mindset that you can have fun without the substances, without drinking or smoking, um, then you absolutely can. Wow, that's a good that's a good thought and something good to teach because you're teaching resiliency and, and good skills. What about you? College. I mean, my my daughters went to college and they say they're there that they're the only ones they ever met who never used pot. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If that's, I know that that's not true, but yeah. I guess they felt that way. Yeah. So uh, I'm from it always starts from like my childhood and my upbringing. My parents never really used their tactics. They more so used like fear appeals. Um, They just basically would tell you how your actions can influence, you know, your future and things like that. So me knowing where I come from and what it is that I want to accomplish, I always tend to not put myself in predicaments where, you know, I don't want to ever disappoint my parents or I don't ever want to do anything to basically like make their life any harder. You know what I'm saying? So um, 
um, were immigrants um, to America. So basically, like, I always saw myself as, okay, I'm the second out of five kids. If I do something wrong, it will give, you know, my younger siblings leeway to do it and say, hey, Angela did it too. I didn't want to be that type of, you know, older sibling. But me going to school in New York City in a town I'm not familiar with. I'm from a small um, town in Maryland called Burtonsville. So me going to New York, I was exposed to so many things that I was not exposed to when I was in Burtonsville. So I had an older sister and she's two years older than me. And she used to share with us, you know, the things that she was seeing and educate us on everything else about like drugs and things of that sort. So I know I'm the type of person, um, I used to be one of the popular kids in school. So we were always in clubs. Um, I was a part of like, you know, all these organizations and Obviously, they will always teach you like, hey, you, in order to be a leader, you have to set an example. And in order for you to set an example, you just don't do things that you're not supposed to. So when I went to college, I was like the new kid on the block. I didn't really know anybody. It was kind of like, you know, some people were making friends from trying new things and things of that sort. But for me, it was kind of liberating. And um, I was in school for psychology and sociology, and I used to learn so many things about um, the effects of drugs and how it can mess up your brain. And I used to think about it like, mm, I could never do that. I can literally be around friends that are doing drugs, and I would never do it because of my strong mindset. Like, if I st say I'm not going to do something, I'm not going to do it. But there's some people that are easily like manipulated. You know what I'm saying? And there's some people that fall yeah. into that. But for me, I just knew where I came from. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew where I wanted to go. And I know that if I was to do drugs or if I was to ever engage in that type of activity, it wouldn't be good for me. So I never did it. And yeah. with my siblings after me, like even if they have questions, I always tell them, if you have questions or anything like that, just come to me. I'll help you, you know. And working at Katka, I have so many resources now that I just give it to them yeah. to give to their um to give to their friends. Their friends come to talk to me about drugs. Sometimes they do get curious. They're like, oh, can I take Adderall, you know, to stay um <laughs> basically to stay up and do my homework? And I'm like, you don't want to do that because I heard this story about blah, 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 blah. You know, and I I was like, you know what? If you don't believe me, I think you should read up on it and things of that sort. So more so like exactly what my parents did, the um not scare tactics, but basically just teaching them what I've been through. And if they want to take that advice, they can. But peer pressure is something that I feel like it subsides as you get older because everything in life is a choice. So whatever choice you make is going to be the determinant of your future. That's great. And, and, but most you're, you're very special. You're blessed. You've, you're, you're strong. You have a goal. You're, you're, you're forward thinking. And a lot of, a lot of people don't know, you know, I, you know, look at all the people who go to college. They don't know what their major is going to be or now people, should I even go to college? And um, so most people I think don't really know um, or as focused. So I love what CADCA does, which is teaches resiliency and education at a young age. And Rebecca, you, um, you talked about something really unpopular. I mean, people saying, you know, that you're, uh, education on the harms of marijuana, is, you know, people can, um, you know, be mad at you for doing that. So I'm, I'm wondering 
how you, if that you ever ran across that and um, have you, have you run into kids and people that you know that use marijuana and, and seen how it affects them? Yeah, I definitely have um, run into some criticism. Um, I feel it's such a controversial issue, especially, and I feel like it's an issue that's overly politicized. Um, and for that reason, people love getting into the politics of it and love um, sort of picking at that and trying to make assumptions about certain things based on certain issues that you believe in, which I don't think it's a political issue. I really don't. I think it's something that has to do with public health more than anything. But um, I have seen people using it and over the years, um, especially because in middle school, I remember when people first started using it. Um, and those same people I, I've seen like over the years, it's just the same sort of trends, like people lose their motivation, people lose like an incentive to want to put any energy towards school, other clubs, extracurriculars. And I feel like that is such a universal kind of effect that we see amongst youth that use it for a long period of time, amongst people that use it for a long period of time. So definitely it's unfortunate to see that happen, especially in people that I've known for so long. It's not a political issue. It's public health. Again, and for me, this is, it's a medical issue um, and understanding the, the harms and the risks that you, that you take. And, and you give a great example of, of, you know, again, professors have seen kids who come in freshman year of college, they're all motivated. I'm going to, you know, go to red school, I'm going to law school. And by the end, they're, they're dropping out and their grades are dropping. And, you know, you can trace it to drug use or marijuana use. And, and what's sad is that people are told that it's so healthy and good for this and good for that. And, and, and that's the problem is that they're getting mixed messages. Um, Angela, you do something unique in working in Ghana. Do they have a drug problem in Ghana? And what do you, how do you help your, your community um, there? They do, but I don't think it's something that it's not as, um, it's just now starting to become a problem because now tourism is becoming a big thing in Ghana now. Um, I know mm -hmm. for a fact that most of the people um, that come into Ghana, most of them, or from the UK. So a lot of them do a lot of tobacco. So tobacco has become a big issue in Ghana right now, um, cigarette smoking and things of that sort. Um, so I usually go to Ghana and I work with a nonprofit, um, basically volunteering with them. And I help to basically give them like, it's like public health initiatives and teaching them about the harms of drugs and how it could affect them. And the Age for youth in Africa is different than the age of youth in America. So in Africa, you can be 35 and still considered as a youth. So um, basically educating people from, let's just say, 14 to 35 on drugs and things of that sort. Some of them, if you're not affluent, you don't have access to those kind of drugs. But I know that alcohol is a big issue there simply because there is no age um, that you can drink alcohol. You can drink alcohol mm -hmm. at family functions at the age of seven. If your family allows you to, you know, you can go out and buy alcohol if you want to. So it's just one of those things where we're trying to basically help them understand these effects of alcohol use, of um, tobacco use. So basically we go out, we do a lot of research, um, put it in a pamphlet, something can take with them. So just in case they don't have internet access where they can, you know, go online and search these things up, they have 
resources at hand where they can look at, go back home, read through, and also basically tell people about it. So it becomes like collective efficacy amongst the community. But um, it's such a rewarding experience to be able to do that. Um, And just basically just to know that like we're changing. So for instance, most of them don't go in and say, oh, I want to study public health, you know, most of them want to be doctors, they want to be nurses, they want to be lawyers and things of that sort. So it's just something where we're just showcasing the importance of public health in Ghana and also all around in Africa. That's great. Um, far, far reaching arms of CADCA around the world. Um, we'll have chapters in every country. <laughs> um Angela, what would you tell people who are listening out there who say, hey, I want to I want that in my community. I want a drug prevention club in high school or middle school. How do how do they do this? How do they start? Yes. So they start by contacting us. You can go on our page just to see the various things that we do at catca.org. Or if you want to contact us directly, you can almost you can always email us at youth at catca.org. And my first, A, my the first initial of my first name, my last name at catca.org. Just always contact me and I'll be able to assist you in anything that you may need. Um, I'll connect you with our director, Robert Alvarez. I know you guys probably, um, me and Rebecca are used to him. And then our manager, Hector Rajo, they're all amazing. We all work in one unit and on one team and we're always eager and ready to help in any um, in any way possible that we can. So contact us, we'll always here for you. We'll put that on our um, on this episode show notes so people can reach out. Yes, and perfect. Rebecca, what's your advice? You started something out of scratch, you know, just calling your friends and say, hey, come be in a club. What do you how do you start, um, you know, start? Do you bribe people with food? Like come have pizza and learn about <laughs> drugs. You know? Food is always an awesome incentive. Yeah, um, I think. <laughs> Getting people together who believe in the same cause as you um, or who believe in what you believe and want to do the same things. Um, and it could be a small group. It could be just five people who you found really share your beliefs and share what you want to do. Um, and just getting people together. And then you have sort of like a support system of people um, to go into embarking on like a larger goal of establishing a whole club. Um, I know like the club that we have now, it started off a lot smaller. I didn't found it. Um, another CADCA trainer, her name is actually Ananya. She founded it a few years ago, but since then it's grown a lot. And we now have like over 120 members, I believe. So um, there's a lot wow. of people now. And I feel like a lot of it has to do with just um, finding people who share the same beliefs as you really because then it's so much easier to put your energy, effort, and work towards like whatever you may be doing, just because you're surrounded by people who also want to be doing the same thing. Um, and then also just sticking with it and staying dedicated and knowing that you're going to encounter those roadblocks, but ultimately it'll be good outcomes if you keep going. Okay, cool. And I, I'm sure our audience just sees the both of you, Angela, Rebecca, is our super chicks who, you know, have such a bright future. So, Angela, where do you see yourself going? What's your dream job? Where do you, you said you're very focused and know where you want to go. Yes. I aim to eventually go back to Africa and um, I wouldn't mind being a professor um, in public health and basically teaching youth 
um, about the importance of public health and prevention science. Um, I think it's really, really important. With me working with the nonprofit right now, I would love to also have my own nonprofit where we can open up a school um, where we can teach not only girls, but also guys, because usually sometimes they separate the schools into boys and girls, but mm -hmm. I want to have both girls and boys in this school where we can teach them um, not only just public health, but also like um, IT. We can teach them about different, different subjects that I feel like are lacking where I'm from and basically just bring that all around. But I honestly see myself doing that type of humanitarian work um, for the rest of my life because I feel like I was brought here to help people. So that's what I'm going to love to do. I love that. We met a lot of people with a giving heart. Okay, I'm going to call you Professor Angela now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rebecca, same question. I mean, and tell us where you are. You you finished high school. Are you in college? And what are you? What is your major? What's your dream career? Actually, not yet. I graduate in May from high school. I'm a senior right now. So in the fall, I'll be my in my first year of college. Um, dream major, like our intended major, I guess, is psychology. I just really want to study the brain and learn all about human behavior and especially like how addiction um, impacts behavior and development of the brain. So I think that is definitely something I'm looking forward to in the fall. Yes. Yes. Well, Did you great. decide on a school, Rebecca? I have not yet. I get a bunch of decisions back like next month. So we're still waiting. Yeah, we're excited. That's good. Great. The best of luck to you. What's you, Do you have a dream school or, or you'll make a decision when it comes? Um, I think I have like a dream area, really. I just want to go somewhere warm. She's from Chicago talking yeah. to us in the winter. Everyone, <laughs> I didn't so cold here. Dr. Love. I, I want to be like, like those geese, just like flock somewhere warm for like the yes. winter. And then come back and right, well, to see my family, but I just yeah. want to sit somewhere warm. <laughs> I don't believe I you. That. That's a great idea. Well, if you end up in San Diego, let me know. Oh, of course. Um, all right, uh, ladies, I have a, a special question that I have right now from our producer. He's calling in and he's asking, he's kind of an older guy, and he's asking, is it really true that youth are smarter than older guys like him? Dr. Lev, thank you so much, number one, for allowing me to be the producer of High Truth, and number two, for introducing me as the older guy calling in. <laughs> I do have a question for High Truth. Is it true that Today's youth are smarter or more advanced than, say, someone my, okay, than me. I ask because so many times when I hear uh, people younger than me, uh, especially in their teens, speak about these topics and things like that, I'm like, why? <laughs> well, I was nowhere near that way when I was your age. I'm barely there now. <laughs> yeah. Even the generation after Rebecca is going to be smarter. They have yeah. iPhone 5. The world is literally she says, yeah. <laughs> fingertips. They can literally see everything. It's yeah. amazing yeah. what technology is doing. It's amazing. Yeah. And and it makes you smarter because it used to be like, hey, what's the capital of Ghana? Like, oh. <laughs> Right. And now know. you just go your it's, you go the you, you go ask, the phone and it's like boom, there it is. You ask Siri, hey Siri, what boom, is this? There it is. We had to go to Google and go through pages to find yeah. what we were looking for. It's well, it, there there is book smart, but it's almost like the, the, the common consensus of what you know you should be doing out there 
you know, back in the eighties when I was your age, it was like, yeah, party. And in the seventies, <laughs> all that stuff was actually cool. It was on the front yeah. page of magazines and stuff, you know, the yeah. you know, party at the disco cocaine. It's like now long. people look at you weird, like, oh no, you smoke ill. Yeah. Like, you know, that kind of culture now it's like, ew, you do that. Oh no. Like, it's, it's a good thing, I feel like, because they're seeing... I remember I used to see those torturing advertisements. I don't know if it's just me or the people that had the hole in their throat. Oh, yeah. They oh, couldn't... I remember you know, that. The, the yeah. truth... is Was it called the truth? It was called the truth, truth right? initiative. The truth the initiative. The truth initiative, yes. It was... They had the whole... And I was like, oh my God, I don't want, ever want to be like that. It was... When it came on, I wanted to change the channel. Yeah. It's the sick reality of what people went through. But now it's like people don't want to go through. Everybody just want to live a good life. Yeah. Um, they want to live their best life. So they want to do anything, you know, that will preserve their health. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's crazy. It's crazy. But then they also have different things now that they're going through. Like yeah. back in um, the 80s, like you were saying, they had cigarettes and, you know, all these things. But now middle schoolers. We had are cloves. Yeah, middle schoolers <laughs> are doing vape in the bathrooms. It's actually worse yeah. than cigarette smoking. That's now number one on the CDC website. It's like number yeah. one yeah. abused, you know, substance. Right after that is alcohol. And then right after that is marijuana. So it's just one of those things where every generation is going to have something that's going to hurt their generation. But it's up to us to be, you know, the change agents and actually teach people that, hey, we already found what's going to happen to you 10 years from now. So don't do it. You know, that's one of those things. And I ask you that question out of respect because uh, I'm listening to your show here and, and I'm getting motivated like, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and if, and when that has a, a, an effect on me, I, I, that's the way I think recovery or, or prevention works. You know, you lead mm -hmm. by example and, and people are drawn to what you're putting out there, you know? So yeah. thank you so much. I really felt uh, moved to ask that because I just see it over and over again. And I'm like, I want to be like you and you're. 40 years ago for me. And and uh, let's end by by uh, talking to Sean. Sean Cole gave us a great you know framework for this episode. So uh, each of you give uh, advice to, to Sean. What's your advice to him, Angela, and then Rebecca? Um, so he asked, um, why is youth leadership so important in helping um, the curve of addiction in our country? I always... I always believe that um, youth are advocates of today, tomorrow, forever, because they are going to be the future. So if we give them the platform now, we give them the education now, I can only just imagine the impact that it would have, not only in prevention, but everything altogether. And I really want adults to also not have this misconception that youth don't know anything. Youth of today know more than what I knew back in my time, you know, at that yeah. age. So with that, give them the opportunity to let their voices be heard. Give them the opportunity to speak on things that they're seeing in their communities. Give them the opportunity to basically speak out to their youth because they, they're the ones that can relate. You know, they're the ones that see what the other youth are seeing. So let's allow them to have this platform to speak and also to educate us more so, the adults, on things that they feel like will be beneficial for their future. 
That's great. And Rebecca, do you have advice for, for Sean? Yeah, I do. I think that youth are so important because um, professionals and adults and people um, who are really just well-versed with a lot of the science behind it, they have the advantage of just knowing more so um, like prevention science and all the logistics behind it. And that is very, very important in reducing substance use, of course. But I think what's so important about youth is that they're the ones who see it firsthand with their peers. That's something that adults don't see. And also something that adults don't see is like what's happening on social media with young people and their peers. So I believe just because youth have that different kind of experience, they have a different set of knowledge and working adults and professionals would. And that's what makes them so important in reducing substance use. That's great. Well, you two are so um, articulate and well-spoken and amazing leaders. And Angela, um, our Professor Angela, I want to really thank you for your leadership. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I want to wish you, um, thank you really for your commitment to prevention, your lifelong commitment to public health. And I wish you the best of, and success. And I know that you will. And Rebecca also dream big. Um, the future will not be exactly what you're wishing or planning for. It'll be different, but um, you're ha having a dream and a vision is helpful. Uh, aim high. And I, I know again that you'll be successful. I can't wait to kind of hear and, and, and follow your path. And one thing is very certain is that the leadership training that you both received through CADCA will last you your entire life, um, not just your career. It, these are skills that you're learning uh, regardless of, of what uh, path, career path or personal path that it'll help you in your personal life and in your professional life. So thank you, CADCA. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mm -hmm. Love, for having us. We really, really appreciate it. What you're doing on the High Truth Podcast is amazing. And I hope that, you know, it reaches a mass amount of people because these kind of subjects are what is needed now. Yeah, Especially thank you just so much for having us today. Um, I know Angela could say this as well, but it was just, it's always awesome just getting to talk about our experiences and getting to share with other people what we've learned in our personal journeys. So um, this was a really great experience. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from CADCA. Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America. CADCA builds drug-free communities across the United States, U.S. territories, and over 30 countries across the globe. Every day, CADCA trains. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us at hightruths.com. We want to hear from you. Post a comment or email us about one thing you learned from this program. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us a five-star review. And subscribe so you won't miss any of our information-packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions, and I am your host, Dr. Oni Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths. 